Good morning. All right. I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jason, and I'm lead pastor here. I just want to say uh, good morning to everybody, and I hope you feel comfortable. I've already met some people that uh, have been here for the first time, and so let me just give you a little bit about what we are about, and we're a community of imperfect people, and so if you came in this morning not feeling perfect, you kind of question the car ride here, am I supposed to, I mean, am I supposed to go to church, and have I done enough? Yes, yes, yes. And so we want you to know that everybody that uh, sits around you that makes this community called Wellhouse is imperfect as well. But the deal is we allow you to be imperfect, but you got to let us be imperfect. And so we just, uh, we're, we're moving together as God is kind of navigating and taking each of us at his pace, at his time, in a direction that he wants us to go. And so I just want, I hope that makes you feel comfortable today, because I know sometimes when you come to church, you, you just feel like there's an expectation to be something that maybe you're not ready to be yet, and so we just kind of take all that away. Um, I love our kids. I love moments that we get to um, have our kids come and display what's going on behind the walls, and we love those moments. From the very, very beginning, we set out uh, to do something that would be partnership with our families, especially those who are rearing children, and we said we want to do whatever we can, and God has blessed us with just a ton of kids, and there's more on the way, and we're just excited about that. But one of the things that we, we didn't know was coming that has been the biggest blessing and I will tell you that sometimes when you, when you go and you plant churches, the tendency for new churches is to focus on a young demographic and try to pull in everybody you can that's of the young, right? And one of the things that we set out on the beginning, we said, how can we be multi-generational? And God has done that for us. So it's not just people under 30, and it's not just people who have small kids. We have a variety of people, and I believe that all of those are unique and are needed in, in any healthy church body. And so I want to celebrate. We celebrated our kids. Can I celebrate someone who is a little older? This last week... We had uh, some of our partners, which is what we call uh, our members. We, we don't call each other members. We call each other partners because we're partnering with what God has done uh, that celebrated a milestone. They don't even know I'm going to do this, but I want to celebrate with them. Mark and Barbara Tucker celebrated 50 years of marriage this week. Come on up here. Just come right here. And I wanted to do this to honor you guys, but I wanted to do this to showcase you guys to these guys. We have, I believe, five weddings that from January to January, five weddings that some have already taken place and some are going to take place. We've got one coming up in May. We've got two in, in, in October. I want you to know that when you come to Wellhouse, and again, God has uniquely put multi-generations in this body of people, in this community of people. Don't come and ask me, hey, give me some marriage advice. Go and ask them because, and, and I hope that's not too much pressure, but I'm going to tell you, 50, 50 years is amazing. And so I want you to know that God, again, has uniquely put people around us because we need Mark and Barbara Tuckers. We need them to showcase what godly, healthy, faithful marriage looks like. And so I thought it was fair to do that. So Leanne, she's got a gift for you, and we want to just, again, to continue to celebrate. So if you guys find them afterwards and say congratulations, and then you young couples, whether you've been married a year or two years or you're about to be married, take them out to lunch one day or take them to dinner and just 
see what God can do through them to bless your marriage and the longevity of that. And so we're just so grateful that you guys are here and that you're a part of and, and that you kind of hang out with, with some of us younger people, but you model for us younger people what it looks like to be faithful and to be loving and to be godly as you guys pursue life together. So thank you guys. I want to pray over them and then we'll begin. Father, this morning, I'm so, so thankful for our children, but I'm thankful for those that have outgrown childhood and have modeled for us throughout the, the, the term of their life and will continue to do so, that they model for us what it looks like to be godly men and women who are chasing and pursuing your heart as you chase and pursue us. And God, they've modeled for us what marriage looks like, the covenant that, that sometimes we take serious, sometimes we don't. They have taken that seriously, and they have loved each other and enjoyed every moment of it. And the moments that they haven't enjoyed, I'm sure that they still leaned into you because you uniquely created a covenant that made them one. And God, 50 years of oneness. Again, our culture is nothing short of miraculous. So thank you for the Tuckers. Thank you for allowing Lori and I's life to be blessed by the Tuckers. And now that everyone's aware of, of their milestone, God, I know that you're going to use this milestone as a platform, as a catalyst to reach and to, to teach and to mentor and to love and encourage lives that are in these seats and seats to come. So God, thank you for this. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. Love you guys. You can. Well, we are going to conclude our series today, and I hope that you guys have been blessed in the land between. Um, I did not anticipate myself growing the way I have grown, and so I figure like, if God can teach this guy something, he can, he can work through your life as well. And I hope you guys have, have found some relief if you're in the land between. I, I hope that you have found some moments that prepare you for perhaps a land between that is coming, because if you live long enough, you're going to end up in a land between. But we're going to kind of wrap this up today, and, and, and we're going to move on into Easter, and then we've got some things uh, lined up after Easter that I know you're going to be really excited about as well. So we're going to kind of land today uh, talking about something that I hope is already beginning to happen. If not, I pray that it will begin to happen in your life because I believe it has such importance to us. Um, Lori and I, we love the movies. Anybody else love movies? Guys, we have discovered something that has changed our life. It is called Movie Pass. That's right. That's right. If you don't know about MoviePass, you are missing out. It's a little debit card. It works with your app, but it's like a little debit card. And for a flat rate per month, Lori and I got locked in. I think it's like seven bucks a month. Now, you heard me right, $7 a month. You can take that and you can go to any theater in Nashville. So if you live up in Hendersonville, Indian Lakes on there, Opry Mills. But get this, you can see as many movies a month as you want in the theater, all for seven bucks a month. And so it's just this amazing thing. You can, you can go to, we went to a movie last Monday night just because we could, and it didn't cost us anything. And I, I, I have great satisfaction when she rings it in, you see like 2350, and then all of a sudden it goes to zero. You're like, it, I almost feel like I robbed the place, right? But it's this amazing, we love going to the movies. And, and uh, so not only do we love the new theater, and if you haven't been to the new theater, they come with these extra large reclining leather chairs. It is, I mean, it is amazing. But one of the things that Lori and I, from early on in marriage, we love to watch movies at our house. 
And so we bought this massive king-size beanbag that both of us can lay in and the dogs can jump up on. And, and like, if you come over, you, we got room for two more. Like, it, it's this big beanbag. But we love to kick back in this beanbag and watch movies. And before all the streaming and the technology, Lori and I owned a DVD collection that was second to none. Thousands of DVDs. Now, I was thinking about back this week, and I wonder why it took us so long to pay our school loans off. It was all on DVDs. But uh, we, we love watching movies at home. So through a couple of moves and through, again, technology, being able to stream, and through some yard sales, we kind of got rid of most of our DVD collection except four movies. Now, these four movies I have seen a thousand times, but you never know. In fact, I will probably go home this afternoon and watch one of these four just because I'm talking about it. You never know the moment that you're going to want to watch these movies because they just inspire me to the next level. So here's the four movies I still own. I own Ocean's Eleven. You can keep 12 and 13, but Ocean's Eleven, I love a good heist. I love that moment at the end when he, they kind of rewind you back in time and they showed you what they were doing all along that you didn't notice. But in the end, they walk out with duffel bags, $138 million, and you're like, how in the world? And it makes me go to an evil place of going, I wonder if I could do this. (laughs) So that's one movie. I also kept Tombstone, because every now and then, you just need to visit the Wild West. Every now and then, there's a co-worker that you want to look across the cubicle and rub your gun and go, I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. So every now and then, I'll throw in Tombstone and watch. I kept Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Because again, there's nothing greater than reverting back to childhood and having that moment where every kid's dream was not to just buy chocolate, but to be given a chocolate factory. It's amazing. And so you kind of watch. And I, Gene Wilder does such a great job with that. And so sometimes I just kind of put it in for certain parts, but I love that. And then the fourth one that I kept, which is really kind of five, I kept the Rocky series. And if you don't like Rocky, you don't like America, Okay. <laughs> But I kept the Rocky series and because uh, it just makes you feel like you can conquer the world. And it was so, so back when we, uh, we started watching these, uh, I had these moments where I would put Rocky in. And, and again, it's this story of just an average guy. He's a working class guy. Um, there's some painfully awkward flirting that happens. Rocky's the worst flirter. Uh, and there's just these moments where you're going, Adrian's never going to fall for this. But, but there's also this moment and you know it's about to happen. It's this moment where Rocky transforms right in front of your eyes, right? And there's, in in all four parts, and I I know there's five, but the fifth one's terrible, so nobody counts it. So, but in all four parts, there's a music that comes on that just begins to indicate, you know what? Things are about to get real, right? Somebody's going to jump out of their seat at this moment, right? There it is, like, yeah. It's, it's the beginning of the process. You know, I'd probably get a lot more done in life if that just played in my background everywhere I went. Like I walk out my door on, on, on Monday morning and like that music's playing. You walk into the office, that music's playing. But that music and what follows that music in every part, or maybe if you're like me, part four, hearts of fire, there's something that happens in that moment where he goes from this untrained undisciplined, 
street fighter to a lean, mean boxing machine. It's that moment where, again, uh, we, we, can, we can put ourselves in these moments. And I think the reason that we love these moments, not because we aspire to be a boxer, but we can put ourselves in that moment because we desperately want that moment in our life. You, you want that moment where the music would cue and you would go from this, this normal, average, semi-out-of-shape, emotional wreck, whatever your land between is, you would go from that moment and in about a three-minute span, the music would inspire you. The next thing you know, you are victorious. You are celebrating on the, the tops of the stairs, pumping your fists because you know that what follows has great impact on your future that it changes the course of things. It's in these moments where you begin to see that not only is it going to positively change the future, but the trajectory in which I was going suddenly changes to something better, something more positive. All of a sudden, here's what happens in this moment. All the pain and all the toughness of the past is just that. It's the past. You're not in it anymore. You've come out of that moment. And so all the hard training and all this stuff that you had to deal with, all of a sudden now you can kind of put it behind you because you've seen light at the end of the tunnel. You are ready for the fight. It's this moment where you look back and you begin to make sense of some things. Oh, now I get, I understand now that moment. Because I have moved in this rocky moment, I have moved so far beyond, I have moved so far down, I'm I'm more disciplined, I'm more trained. Now I see what was happening back here. It's this moment where you begin to make sense of some of these moments that you spent in the land between. Now, we started this question six weeks, or we started this series six weeks ago with this question. How did we get here? And we talked about when you, you, you have that moment that sometimes it's just a sudden moment and in a blink of the eye, a phone call, a sentence, you find yourself in the land between. Sometimes it's a slow, gradual process that gets you and lands you in the land between. But we started the, the series with, how did we get here? Well, I want to end the series with the same question. How did we get here? How did we get here? Now, if you've been following along, we've been following the story of the Israelites, And the Israelites have had a long journey to this point. We've seen some pretty hard moments. We've seen some dark moments. We've seen some frustrating moments. We've seen some embarrassing moments. But finally, they are on the brink of the promised land, this land that was promised to their ancestors, that you are going to be able to go to this place, this land, and it's going to be your land, and it's filled with every luxury you can think of. It's filled with milk and honey, and it was promised by God. But in order for them to step into this, in order for them to step into God's promise, in order to step into God's plan, it was going to require full faith. It was going to require their full attention, awareness, and trust in God the Creator. And and what we see is that trust is crucial. Trust in this relationship between the Israelites and their leaders, and it's the same for us, and God was crucial to their ability to fulfill their destiny. 
The reason we haven't gotten them into the land yet is because they haven't got to a place where they've understood the critical nature of full trust. And so God, through a series of things, kind of takes them through a place and hoping that they would grow to a place where they could have full trust because it was going to require full trust in order to step into. So here's what we've seen. We see, we pick up on the scene, they are enslaved. They're living as slaves in Egypt. Been there about 400 years. And so as a result of that, they had become immersed in the Egyptian culture. They knew who God was. They knew that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they also knew this other culture. And so they were torn in between. And so God does what God does. And so he sends a rescue leader named Moses. Now, Moses didn't want the job, but God wasn't asking. God said, listen, I'm calling you to go and free my people. So they end up in Egypt uh, in front of the Pharaoh, this, this king, and they go through a series of negotiations, miraculous negotiations, to it finally gets to a point where Pharaoh says, listen, go, take these people. I don't want to deal with this anymore, even though it's going to leave a big gaping hole in our society and our economic plan, our, 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 our production of, of material. I don't care. Take them. Go. Get out of here. And so Moses, this newly recruited leader, begins to march what some believe be two million people through this wilderness that's going to lead them to the land between. So the first test is they they get on the brink of the Red Sea. Somewhere back here, the Egyptians changed their mind and said, you know what? That wasn't smart. Let's go get them and, and take them back into slavery. And so here they stand in front of the Red Sea, going, how how are we supposed to get through this? And they turn, and on the horizon, they see the Egyptian army coming after them. So again, God does what God does, and God says, hey, Moses, just take your staff and put it out. And, and, And the Bible tells us that in that moment, it says the sea split. It says they could walk through on dry land. And God does this not just for their protection, but God does this in order to begin the process of allowing them to see that he can be trusted. Well, it doesn't get very far down the story where I guess the Red Sea moment was a a distant memory. Because then they run into some food issues, and we've kind of talked about those over the last few weeks. They run into some food issues. They run into some water issues. The water was bitter, and, and God says, hey, just... Throw that twig out in the water, and it became clean. It became fresh, and then they had some more food issues. And again, every time, God takes care of it. But what we see growing in the people of Israel is that they have been overtaken by a spirit of complaint. And it wasn't that they were just complaining to God. They were complaining about God. They were beginning to reject God. In fact, some were not even beginning to reject God. They had fully rejected God. And so God has to kind of step in, and, and they're on just the outskirts of the land, and God steps in and, and, and says, listen, let me discipline you in a way that will save the mission. Let me apply some, some discipline so that you can, can save the next generation. We said that his discipline was redemptive. It wasn't discipline for discipline's sake. He was disciplined in order to redeem them as people, to redeem their children, to redeem the entire plan. But it didn't work. So here they are on the brink, and God says, all right, fine. Back into the desert you go. I mean, it was was right there. So they spend 40 years back in the desert. It says, wandering aimlessly. And it was enough time where the older generation that had completely rejected God, completely 
refused to grow in any measure of trust and faith, died off and their children were the recipients of the new promise. So now it's time to take the land. Moses dies. And so they appoint a leader. Joshua takes over as leader. And they begin to walk into the promised land. And Jericho is the first city. Jericho is the first city, but it's no small task. It's a larger city. In fact, it was probably that way because it was one of the border cities. And so the, they have large people with large armies. It, has these, it says that it has these large fortified walls. And the Israelites aren't really even an army. They, they've spent time in the desert. I mean, they, they've tried to survive. They didn't think about putting together. So here you've got kind of these normal people. And so God reveals for them the plan. In Joshua chapter 6, he's speaking to Joshua, and, and he says, all right, here's how we're going to take this city. Verse 1, he says, now the gates of Jericho were currently barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one could come in. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered into your hands, along with its kings and fighting men, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry trumpets of rams, ram's horns in front of the ark, talking about the ark of the covenant. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the walls will collapse and the army will be able to go in and, and, and will, will be able to go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, calls the priests and says to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it, and he ordered the army advance, march around the city, when the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Now, let me recap that. We have a large city in front of us with a large army with a large wall. And God's plan is march around the city once a day. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. Blow a horn and scream. What could possibly go wrong? I wonder what the people must have thought as this order, this plan of action to take this city trickled down the list. Better yet, I wonder what the guards on top of the wall looking out thought. Hold up. Anybody notice for the last four days these people just keep walking around the walls? Like, what, what's up with this? I, I'm not sure uh, how this is going to turn out. I mean, what, what, are, what are people thinking? What are they, what are they, how are they going to react to all of this? But keep reading. Look in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the, the, the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. On the seventh time around the city, the priest sounded the trumpet blast. Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And the city, that all, uh, the city and all that's in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Now, skip down, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone went straight in, and they took the city. Verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the, the world. This is crazy, right? 
Now, let me go back to the question. How did we get here? Just follow me for a second. Two years ago, these people didn't think God could clean water. They didn't think that God, the creator, had the ability to take some bitter water and make it fresh. Two years ago, they didn't believe that God, who had already provided a miraculous dinner on their their front porch in the, the form of manna, they didn't think that God, who had already been providing for them, could provide meat. Again, I don't know how you get there. Okay, God, I know that this stuff just kind of fell from the sky, but we don't think you can bring us meat. How do they in two years, after habitually complaining about everything that they thought God wasn't capable of doing, end up here? And I want you to notice something in this text. They're at a place now where they believe That marching around walls, blowing horns, and screaming is enough to take the city. And notice that no one asked a question about it. No one in the back of the room went, whoa, hang up, hold up. After we blow the horns and scream, what's next? No one asked a single question. How did they get from a place where they didn't believe that God could clean water to a place where, as crazy as it sounds, a place where they thought that screaming and blowing horns was enough to take the city? What happened? And in a single word, here's what happened. Growth happened. Growth happened. And if you remember from week one, growth was the goal. See, it was never about the destination. It was about what was going to have to happen in our lives and their lives in order to get to the destination. Growth happened. You remember this entire wilderness experience was prep for the moment that would require full and enormous faith. You understand now why God was doing what he was doing? When they came out of Egypt, they would not have had the faith that it took and that we find in Joshua chapter 6. They weren't even near that. And so God, through, through the, the, the sovereignty and the providence of who he is, he begins to take them through a series of things that were hard, things that were uncomfortable, things that, that they couldn't fix themselves, that they were out of options. He took them through a series of tough moments showing that I can provide in that moment. I'm going to provide from a rock. I'm going to provide manna. I'm going to provide quail. I'm going to split the Red Sea. See, all of these things were growth moments where God says, listen, there's something way out there. There's this place called Jericho, and if you can't trust me with water, you're definitely not going to be able to trust me with that. And so God was growing them to a place. See, God used this land between to grow something in them in order to do something amazing through them. And simply put, they weren't ready. And so again, God says, listen, let me grow something in you so that when the right moment comes, and for you, I don't know when the right moment will come. I don't know when that Jericho moment will come. I don't know when your walls will fall, but I'm telling you, God is doing something in you in this land between, in the wilderness, so that he can do something amazing through you. See, I said trust was critical. 
It was critical, not for just this moment of horn blow, blowing, wall falling fun. It was critical for what was ahead. See, once they entered the land, here's what the task was. They were to live differently than the people who currently inhabited the land. They were going to live as God reflectors. They were going to live in such a manner that that they could reflect God's goodness, but you can't reflect God's goodness if you don't trust God's goodness. You can't reflect God's faithfulness if you haven't got to, to a place where you've grown into realizing that God is truly faithful. So again, it was a series of things that happened. If you look back at the Ten Commandments, in part, that's what all those things were about. It was, hey, here's how you're going to behave in order to set you apart from people. See, the hope was that in doing so, others would be drawn to the Creator by the way they lived. But they can't live that way if they've not experienced the goodness. So, so what they had to do, they had to, to, to walk through these moments where the character of God shone through. The character of God being faithfulness and trust and dependability and honor. And God knew that if you can get to a place where you see those things in me, then you'll begin to instill those things in you. And here's what happens when you begin then to be faithful people like the Tuckers. When you begin to exemplify truth in your life and dependability in your life and stability in your life and honor in your life, then others around you will notice and they'll lean in. See, all of this, this trusting God thing was setting them up to be reflectors of God. And guys, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's not just about surviving the land between. It's about living in such a way and growing in such a way that you thrive in being a display of who God is and his trustness, trust, trustworthiness, and, and his sovereignty and his provision. And, and that's the whole point. The point was to get them to a place where they could display, not just live in the land of milk and honey, but they could display God's glory and his holiness And he wanted to get them positioned where in good times they would display his glory, but they knew what bad times looked like, but they still could display his glory. It didn't matter if they were sitting on the beachfront view or in the desert, that they knew that, you know what? God is to be trusted. God is honorable. God is dependable. And so I'm going to live in such a way that displays his holiness. I don't know what land you find yourself in. You may be in the middle of some really tough terrain. You may be in a place where you're just kind of smooth sailing right now, but I'm going to tell you that God will use both of those places to grow you for the moments that are coming. And we too are to live into these moments where we reflect God's goodness, trust the growth process. Guys, and it it may not come in a three-minute high-impact, high-speed rate set to the theme music of Rocky. It may not come for you like that, but it will come. It will come. And and, and the thing is that we, in my own life, I've noticed this and you probably, we may not even realize its full potential. We may not even realize and value what's happening as it's happening. See, the thing about the Rocky montage is this. Yeah, it's only three minutes, but it's giving us and showcasing us months of training. Months of pain, months of struggle, 
early mornings and hard hits. It's giving us, yeah, in a three minute. And so sometimes I think we get spoiled because of movies going, why can't it happen like Rocky? Well, that was months. See, incremental growth is the key. See, I told you on the front end of this that I I didn't have a quick answer. If you came up and said, hey, here's my land between. Let me show you what I'm dealing with. And I'd go, oh, well, if you'll do this, this, and this, you know what? It'll just kind of be, I can't give you that. God doesn't always operate like that. But God is always going to use moments of incremental growth. God is always looking to produce in you growth so that he can do something for you. He is working to develop us, to mold us, and to shape us to be more like Jesus. And I get it. I get it that there are going to be times that that it does not feel like growth is happening. If anything, it feels like the other thing is happening, like I'm going backwards in this. I get those moments, but I'm telling you, if you'll lean in and trust and trust more, and then on on Tuesday, trust more, and on Wednesday, trust more, and and begin to see and be aware and look for incremental growth, these little small moments, don't undervalue the small moments where you begin to, to be fully aware and see, oh, okay, I see what God was doing there, so if he'll do it there, maybe he'll do it again. Can I, let me say it like this. It is saying yes to God again and again when little seems at stake that will prepare our hearts to say yes when everything's at stake. Let me say it's saying yes to God again and again when little seems at stake that's going to prepare your heart to say yes when everything's at stake. That's what God was doing. If they had just paid attention to the little water and the little food, then their heart would have been prepared when the walls would come down by simply marching an inch at a time. And I want to tell you that it's your inch, and God has placed you within a community that's going to walk with you through your inch. One of the things I've learned is never to rush the process of growth in people's lives. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we're going to lean in, and we're going to support each other, and we're going to rally around each other, And in doing so, we're going to set up, begin setting up, and it may be something small for you, just simply taking a minute to pray in the morning or maybe maybe reading into God's Word a little more than you do, incremental growth. But you're going to set up patterns in the heart that will increase the possibility of you responding in trust when the rug is pulled out from under you. And so what you do now, big or small, matters because God is going to use that to grow you and allow you to not just survive, but thrive in the land between. As we kind of close this series down, those tough moments are going to come. Land between will come. So the question really that we've got to ask ourselves as we end this is, what will you do when you find yourself in it? Or if you are currently in it, what will you do from this point on? How will you respond in tough moments that are inevitable? See, we have options. We said this from the get-go. Something's going to grow in the land between. And you have an option. You have a decision in this. See, we can grow bitterness. And we can grow anger and resentment and apathy and a lot of other things that's not going to bring anything good to you and it's not going to bring anything good to your relationship with God and it's not going to bring anything good to the relationships that you have around you. Or you can use these moments and trust God even when it's hard 
Even when it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight, you can trust God and he'll grow faith. And he'll grow a new focus and he'll bring about radical modification. He will bring about transformation. He will develop in you great passion, even in these dry seasons. But it's your choice. And above all, this is why I made such a big deal, and this is why we make a big deal out of it every week about being a community of imperfect people. Above all, I want you to walk out of here today knowing this, is that you are not alone in the land. You're not alone. See, from the beginning of this, this journey, that Red Sea moment, let's go all the way back. Moses is in front of the people whom are following him. And he delivers to them a message. And listen to what he says as they stand in front of that sea. What he's doing is he's setting the tone for the entire wilderness journey. They didn't realize it. But see, we have, we have this so we can look back and realize it. And listen to what he says. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And I love this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. To be still. And I want to remind you that the same God that split that sea is the same God that's going to be at work in you, in your land between. And I want you to hear the whisper of Moses as he says to his people, God's got this. He's got this. All you've got to do is open yourself up and grow your faith. Stand firm and don't be afraid. Stand with me. Philip Yancey, in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, says this. He makes three short statements. And I couldn't think of a better way to end than this. And then I'm going to use a, a passage out of Peter to pray over you. Philip Yancey says, life is difficult, God is merciful, and heaven is sure. And I want you to know that life is difficult, and we admit that, and we have given ourselves permission to scream that. But I want you to know that God is merciful. And above all, I don't know when it will end, but heaven is sure. Peter writes to his people, and I'm just going to use this as a prayer over us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the day of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have to undergo suffering grief of all kinds of trials, land betweens. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. And here's the result, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you, you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. Not that you're going to receive it. You're receiving it. The salvation of your soul. Guys, this land between, it's temporary. But all of it is meant so that at some moment when God grows you to a place where you're capable of getting up off your knees, that the result will be praise, honor, and glory to the one who didn't just see you through it, but he walked with you. Father, this morning, we just pray that you will be with those who are in the land between. God, I know there are some people that are reeling, that are hurting, that are <laughs> losing hope, faith, they're doubting. So Father, would you just give them a peace? Would you give them a, a, a supernatural, if you will, sense of your presence to let them know that you are not in some far off place you're present and you care and that you, you hear and you listen and you see. God, I pray that that will allow them to survive to tomorrow and then survive to Tuesday and then move them from surviving to thriving. Father, for those of us who are not currently in that place, in that space, that land between, I pray a couple things. I pray, number one, that we continue to prepare ourselves incrementally in small ways for the land that will come our way. But I also pray that for those of us who find ourselves in a healthy place, a good place, that God will look to the right and to the left, we'll look in front and we'll look behind and see who it is that you've put in our paths so that we can share how good you are in the moments that things aren't good in their life. So God, it would be a tragic thing for those of us who have survived the land betweens and have seen your goodness to not turn to someone else and share who you are and how you're going to deliver. So God, make us all ministers, make us pastors, make us, make us mentors of those who need us desperately. God, we live in a heart broke world. And you have called your people, yes, to glorify you. And the way that we will do that is when we live differently, when we live set apart, when we give testimony to your goodness. And so, Father, we just pray that you would make us all ministers, that we would live empowered because we've seen you do it. God, as we are about to sing, I, give us this overwhelming sense, confidence, and conviction that we are no longer slaves. God, just as you did then, that you will part whatever sea stands in front of us so we can walk right through it. And on the other side, God, I pray we turn our hearts and our lives upward and we give you the glory and the praise and the honor that Peter writes about. God, thank you for making a way for us to survive, but also making it possible for us to grow in the land between. Pray this through your son's name.